let's, um, I'll tell you what, just real quick, let's go to John 15, and then we'll move back over into the book of Matthew. John chapter 15, and let's begin at verse number 15. John 15 and um, verse 15. Praise God. All right, Jesus speaking. And if it's been a while since you've read the 15th chapter of the book of John, I would encourage you to do that. Just don't do it right now. Let's talk about these couple of verses. But if you have some time, maybe this evening before you go to sleep, to, um, to read that chapter. It's a, I mean, obviously every word in the Word of God is very important, very powerful. But um, around chapter 13 of the book of John through the end of the book of John are some of my more favorite chapters in all the Gospels. But here's what Jesus has to say. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So Jesus makes this statement, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me but I chose you. Now, obviously, it's important for us to acknowledge that we've been chosen by God. Amen. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. Matter of fact, he says that we are a chosen generation. And he's speaking of those who've been born again, born of the seed, capital S-E-E-D, Jesus. Remember, Father has no grandchildren. He only has children. Amen. And we've all been born of His Son, Jesus, born of His seed, born of His Spirit. And we are that chosen generation, that generation Christ in the earth, the body of Christ. And it's extremely important for us to understand that we're chosen. The Bible says to think highly of yourself, just not more highly than you ought to. But we should have the right opinion and a high esteem of who we are in Christ and of our importance to the world. Um, this world is longing for the sons of God, for the children of God to take the rightful place. But here Jesus is not just informing us that we've been chosen. He's also informing us that we did not choose him, but that he chose us. Now, the best way I know how to communicate to you what Jesus is talking about here is he's addressing an attitude. And, and an attitude that's very important. In other words... We should not walk around like we chose him, okay? <laughs> we are the ones chosen. We were not the, the ones, uh, you know, doing the choosing here. And, and the point being is, is attitude. In other words, it's, it's kind of like the upper hand. Um, if we chose instead of were the ones being chosen, then it puts us in a different position as far as our attitude towards our fellowship and towards our purpose in Christ. But we were nobodies. We were nothing. We were lost and helpless without any opportunity to ever be rescued or saved apart from Jesus coming. And, um, and he chose us. And we also looked at some things this morning that, that he actually chose us before we even existed to make a choice. Now, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. I, I could talk more about that, but let's, um, let's get over into Matthew 20 and in 22. Because what, what we have 
in Matthew chapter 20 and then again in Matthew chapter 22 is two parables that are different in the sense that they talk about different things, but they are related because of the wording that Jesus used in both and, and uh, the, the similarity because of that wording. So both in the parable in Matthew 20 and in the parable in Matthew 22, Jesus used the word strategically. He used the word that's translated in our English text, friends or friend, and he used the expression, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, before I read any of this, let's go ahead and state a couple of things that we have stated in the past and we'll state them again tonight, all right? If any person will choose to revolve their entire life around God, and when I say God, He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But if, if you will choose, you know, we, we often say, man, his whole world revolves around his job, or his whole world revolves around his wife, or his whole, whole world revolves around his baby, or whatever. And, but again, if you can understand that language, um, if, if you, and in your life, if, if, if you will revolve your whole life around the Lord, the Lord will respond by revolving himself around you. If you will revolve around him, he'll revolve around you. If you'll make it all about him, he'll make it all about you. If you'll put him first, he'll put you first. If you, if, if, if you, um, you know, give him your all, he'll, he'll give you his all. Amen. And you say, well, wait a second, Pastor Mark, I, I thought he... He, he gave us his all uh, when, when he gave us Jesus and that, and that we've already been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have, but now there's a difference between it being given and us enjoying and experiencing it in our life reality. Now, what we're trekking towards in this series on oneness is that simply God created us after himself, from himself, to make us one with Himself so that He could share Himself with us. Everything that He is and everything that He has. And we've looked at this here and there. We haven't really dug deep into all the Bible has to say about that. But by definition, the glory of God, and I know this, when we use this word, it makes people nervous. But the glory of God, the doxa of God, is literally all that God is and all that God has. And, and the Bible says that, that he wants to share that with you. Now, when we see Jesus alive on the earth, we see that there were certain people that he revealed his glory to. There were certain people who literally witnessed, they saw, they experienced the glory of God. But there were a whole bunch of other people who were also present on planet earth who they saw Jesus, they heard him speak, but they never saw his glory. They never experienced in their life, in their situation, in their family, the glory of God. 
Now, there's one place, and there's a sermon that I've kind of, I don't know when we're going to preach it. I, I thought it would have already been preached, amen, but I, it's still kind of percolating on the inside of me. But what we see is that Father wants to share His glory. He wants to reveal His glory. He wants to, 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 to make His glory known. But He will only do that amongst people who want Him. People who want Him. And for Jesus on planet earth, that place was a place called Bethany. Bethany was the one place on planet earth where Jesus could relax and enjoy a meal with friends on a, you know, nice afternoon. Basically, everywhere Jesus went other than Bethany, he was being hounded, he was being questioned, he was being ridiculed, and, and, it, and it got worse from there. But Bethany was, was that place of rest. Bethany was that place where he could go. He had some precious friends there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and, um, and he would come and he would hang out at their house and, and, um, and people would come and sit, sit around and he would just talk and, and he could kind of relax there. And I'm not trying to act like he was stressed out. Obviously, Jesus, you know, operated in the peace of, of God and the wisdom of God. But, but Bethany was the place, and you could almost make a case for it, that it was the only place that he was really welcomed. And my, how he revealed his glory to the people in Bethany. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Because he understands, he understands what's at stake when it comes to people either receiving him or rejecting him. He understood it better than anybody else. Right? He, he, he understood what was in store for those who received him, and he also equally understood what was in store for those who did not. And this is why if you, if you read the Gospels from that position, the, the urgency, the, the, even at times where, where Jesus would be so confrontational, you, you realize that he's doing this because he understood, again, what was really at stake here. Now, when he shared these two parables, he was obviously speaking to this whole subject of what it means to be chosen and the proper attitude that is required from someone who has been chosen by God. In other words, it's one thing for him to choose you, but it's another thing to have the right attitude and the right response to being chosen. This is, I think, a glimpse into a greater understanding of the difference between someone who is called versus someone who is chosen. When he said, many are called but few are chosen, it's not that God is deciding you're chosen, you're chosen, you're called, you're called, you're called, you're called, you're chosen. He's not like just going through like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. All the twos and threes are chosen, all the ones are called. It, it, it comes down to our response. It comes down to what are, what are we going uh, to do in response to what's been given to us, the opportunity that's been offered to us, the doors that have been opened in front of us. 
So when he says many are called, few are chosen, the difference between someone who is simply called versus someone who is chosen is the response of the individual. And that's what he's saying to us in these two parables that seemingly are unrelated, but they are definitely related because of the wording that Jesus used. All right, let's, um, let's jump in here. Matthew chapter 20. And um, I'm just going to just kind of tear off into reading this. Verse number one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Now, before we go any further, I want you to notice the difference between the first group that was, are you ready, called, okay? They were called to labor. But that first group um, agreed upon a certain amount for which they would go and work. The next group that was called slash chosen, no amount of money was offered them no contract was signed, no handshake agreement. He just simply said, if you would like to be a part of some productive uh, work today, you can go and work for me. And at the end of the day, notice, I will pay you what's right. Now, so the attitude here on this next wave of call slash chosen is a different mindset. They're simply going to work with a trust that the man who, who called them will treat them fairly. So they went. Verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Okay, let's comment on this. I want to just kind of present some of this for you as we work our way through this. If we, if we look at this word hired, and instead of hired put the word call no one called us I, I remember in the early days of the cabinet business you know sitting there waiting for the phone to ring waiting for somebody to call right waiting for somebody to say hey would you come give me a bid on my cabinets right so we've got a group of people who have assembled in the marketplace where you know different employers would come and, and call people, uh, choose people to go and work. This guy went and got that first group, then the second group, then later a third group, then a fourth group, okay? And now we see that he comes, and it's like one hour to quitting time, and there's still people who have not been chosen, People who have not yet been given an invitation to go and work. And he asked me, he says, why have you been here idle all day? 
And they're like, listen, we've been willing to work since this morning. No one's called us. No one's chosen us. I think it was Max Lucado many years ago that, that made this point or brought this point out for me. And it's really stuck in my, in my heart and mind all these years later. And that is simply this. Can you imagine the quality of employees that were still available that late in the day? In other words, these were folks that maybe were not that skilled or were not that able-bodied or were not that strong or, or were not that smart or, or what. In other words, these were the folks that had been picked over, not just by this man. This man had gone back multiple times throughout the day and, and hired more and more, called more and more, chose more and more workers. He's not the only one going to this marketplace um, pulling from this labor pool. And so what you have left at the end of the day is kind of like the guy that was picked last for the kickball team. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he's the one that can't tie his shoe straight, you know, left foot and right foot, you know. And, and, and so, but notice, again, this, the kingdom of heaven is like a God who picks someone who's really not qualified at the end of the day. Now, I know we will remember it, but I want to just go ahead when we get to Matthew 22, and they call people from the highways and, and, and the roadways, you know, to come to the wedding feast. Remember this, that the instructions were to call both the good and the bad. And that's a direct connection here to the, the, the most skilled, the most knowledgeable, the, the most able-bodied um, workers that were called first in the morning and then all the way up to those who were still waiting at the end of the day to get an opportunity to go earn some money um, that were chosen there. And that's the kingdom of heaven, right? That's the heart of our heavenly Father. All right, now, let's keep reading. So when, uh, verse 8, So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive the more. They would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. Wow. Saying, these last men worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Verse 13, I'll put it on the screen. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Now, again, remember, you, you've got to keep this in focus here. Jesus is telling this story not for a dissertation on fair labor practices, but he's telling this story to, to how did it begin? The kingdom of heaven is like. He's trying to give us insight into some things uh, through uh, this parable, this comparable. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man 
the same as you. So he's talking about what he desired in his heart. What he desired to do. Verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. But few chosen. So in this first parable, we've commented on several things, but I want to point out again the use of the word, verse 13, the use of the word friend. Friend. This, this word, and it, it's, it's one of the unfortunate translations in the Bible because in our common language, when we hear friend, we think this means like a buddy or a, or a companion. This is not what this word means. This, this word in the, in, the, in the original language, the transliteration of it is heteros. And when Jesus used the word heteros, every person present listening to him say this originally knew exactly what that meant. It did not mean friend, but it meant basically a freeloader. It basically meant someone who was only involved in something for what they could get out of it, for whatever advantage was coming to them. That's, that's what this word heteros means. And so Jesus used it here. He's going to use it again in verse 22. Clearly, Jesus is emphasizing this concept of someone who would be like a mercenary who fought for money, but not for love of country. Someone who would pledge their sword um, to the highest bidder, but not because they had conviction or were, you know, allegiance to um, their, their nation, to their country. In other words, if, if you paid them enough, they'd fight against their homeland. That's, that's the concept here that's being communicated by this word that's translated friend. So with that understanding, do you see now when Jesus said, Heteros, I'm doing you no wrong. You wanted a denarius a day? I gave you a denarius a day, right? Now, just because I gave other people the same amount, I have not treated you unfairly. Now, because here, this guy is acting like he chose the employer instead of the employer choosing him. Do you see the difference there? In other words, the, the, the owner of the vineyard chose that man to work, and that man agreed to work for a denarius a day. But this guy's attitude is not that he was chosen, but that he did the choosing. Because we're seeing this in his attitude. Well, hold on a second now. All right, let's go to Matthew 22. Amen. I think we've got enough time to do this. This is called the parable of the wedding feast. Verse number one, And Jesus answered and spoke to them, again by parables and said the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come all right so i've been trying to emphasize these words like wish and choose and want and invite so 
hired. All of these are forms or versions of this idea of being called, being chosen. Okay? In that first parable, clearly the people who were chosen were the ones who came without any guarantee of any dollar amount, but they simply came and trusted that the vineyard owner would treat them kindly and would treat them fairly. And notice that they were blessed, you know, in comparison even more so than the ones who simply answered a call for a certain dollar figure. All right, let's get back to this. So they sent out his servants to call those, invite those um, to the wedding. Um, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So if that is a little cumbersome in its reading, it's because they would have received these invitations with plenty of notice. But notice now, nobody's, you know, they knew they were invited, but nobody's showing up. And so he, since no one's responding to the invitation, he goes the second mile, so to speak, and actually sends servants to them. Hey, did you guys forget? It's, it's, it's men's breakfast on a Saturday morning. Did you sleep in? You know, in other words, he's, he's, caught, he's sending out folks uh, to give them a, a friendly reminder. Okay? But notice that it wasn't that they forgot about it. It's that they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. He's like, oh, listen, when they find out what I'm serving, when they find out the spread, when they find out you know, that there's, there's actually um, some really good food here, they'll respond. Verse 5, But they, being those who were called... They made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Now, if you're wondering what Jesus is referring to here, he's talking about the prophets in the Old Testament. God would send His servants to His people to try to speak to them and they would, they would respond uh, violently towards those prophets and in, in many instances kill them. So this is, you know, you may not have made that connection really quickly, but I promise you, again, the religious leaders listening to Jesus, um, they were picking up what He was putting down most, uh, most definitely. All right? Um, amen. Let, let, me, let me stop here for a minute, and, and um, I've said this before for years, and, and so I, re, I remember on, uh, sometimes on Sunday nights, the church I grew up in, there, there wouldn't be a lot of people present, or maybe a Sunday morning, and you know, for whatever reason, people would be laying out, you know, church and stuff, and man, the pastor would just chew us all out, you know? And I'm like, dude, we're here, man. You know what I'm saying? Everybody needs to hear this. Not, they're not here to hear this, right? You know. And um, so I, Matthew said, 
more than enough. And, and it was, no, you did great, brother. No, you, amen. Here, here is, I guess, and I'm saying this to commend you, but also to, to make you aware, all right? Because what Matt said is exactly true, and, and here's why it's true, okay? Um, amen. In, um, well, praise God. Verse 5, let me put it up on the screen. But they made light of it. But they made light of it. Right? But they made light of it. Wow. Hosea 4 6 says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And because God's people rejected knowledge, it's left him no other option but to reject them. There's we perish for a lack of knowledge, but not because knowledge is available, but it's because we make light. Right? Brother Hagen, he's with Jesus now. One of my favorite quotes from him is, if you want the word to work in your life, you've got to get excited about it. You've got to get excited about it. Amen. We sit, and I know, listen, I understand we're in the New Testament now, we're under grace, but... You know, the consequences may have been absorbed by Jesus, but be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, he also reaps. Nor sowing and reaping is universal. It's not just relegated to one covenant. And, and we see, and thank God for grace, but we see this principle throughout the Word of God that God's esteem of us is in direct proportion to our esteem of Him. There was, he talked about people who, who lightly esteemed Him, and because they lightly esteemed Him, they were lightly esteemed by Him. Right? You see. Now, thank God we're under grace. We're under grace. But the choices that we make, the choices that we make still count. They still have everything to do with. I've said this also for years. Your attitude towards the Word of God has everything to do with whether or not you get anything out of the Word of God. If you don't have the right attitude towards the Word, it's, it's not going to make any sense to you. It's not going to touch your heart and speak to you and, 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 and transform your life. This is why Jesus said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. If you, if you like God, prefer His Word above all that you are and, 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 and prefer His Word and, and, and highly esteem Him and not make light of it, right? Then what happens? Your whole body is filled with light. But when His voice is just one voice among many and His Word is reduced to the same level as the opinions of men and people on this earth, Amen. It's a completely different, completely different outlook. So, again, they made light of it. And this is not just anyone inviting them to a wedding. This is the king. Let's not lose sight of that, okay? 
This is the king that they have ignored, that they have made light of. Notice it says, but they made light of it and went their ways. What does that mean? It means they did what they wanted to do. They did what was convenient for them and made light of it. Let me keep reading here. I know I'm about out of time. Praise God. You get anything out of this? Let's see, where are we? But Verse 7, but when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. Now let me stop right here, okay? I know that this is not explicitly written here. But if you understand the context of what Jesus is saying, this answer will help you understand the response, okay? Because these folks were taken off the streets, they would not have been expected to have proper attire for a wedding. That would have been provided for them. The concept in our culture would be if you went to a really, really nice steakhouse or restaurant that required a jacket, but you didn't have a jacket, they're going to ask you what size jacket you wear and go get you a blazer out of a closet and put it on so that you can be properly dressed in their restaurant. They're not going to, you know, turn down your $100 steak dinner, you know, opportunity to serve you. So they're going to have a jacket for you. So what's not spoken of here, of course, our garment in Father's kingdom is not our own righteousness, but it's submitting ourselves to the, to the robe of righteousness that Jesus has provided for us. Amen. So the king comes in to see the guest, and he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he finishes again with, For many are called, but few are chosen. So we see it on the larger level of the folks who took the call, the invitation, the, the opening they took it lightly. They chose to do their own thing. Even chose to try to take out some of the messengers who were bringing the invitation. And so the response then was, well, we'll just get anybody who will come because we're going to have a large crowd to celebrate the son's wedding feast, right? Now we got the guy who's there who refused the garment that was offered him. Who, who, again, if you take the full balance of what we know about this, not just this one verse, but you, you stitch a lot of other things together, you see 
that he was taking this approach that he was going to wear what he wanted to wear. In other words, his, his robe was enough. His, he, what he had on was good enough. His righteousness, in other words, symbolic of righteousness. So he's talking about his, making, his own, making himself righteous instead of humbling and submitting himself to the righteousness that is offered to us as a free gift. All right. Last few comments. Thank you for your patience tonight. Back to this word, heteros. Did you see that Jesus used it again when he asked him, he called him friend. Verse 12, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? Again, the word is heteros. Why did you come in here without a wedding garment? What is a heteros? I gave you mercenary. I gave you... um, the word means um, all the dependents in a large house. So if you can imagine like somebody who's really, really wealthy and just a whole lot of folks that are dependent upon the wealth of, of like one person. You've got the concept of a mercenary, someone who, who fights and pledges their allegiance based upon the highest bidder. You also have in this word the concept of a kept woman who is not um, a wife, but she's not a prostitute. She's somewhere in between um, those two positions. Again, um, she offers herself to a man based upon what that man gives her in return. I'm trying to keep it G-rated tonight. Um, this, this is the word that was used for all of these different situations. It was the idea that someone would pretend to be a friend only for what they could get out of. They were only interested in any advantage being connected with someone would actually bring to them. We've talked about the parable of the two sons, often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, in both of those cases, the younger brother and the elder brother, they wanted their daddy's stuff, but they didn't want their daddy. They wanted what he had to give to them, but they didn't really want any kind of relationship or fellowship with him. Again, Jesus is emphasizing this. Why? Because he understands what, again, what is at stake. And he's trying to help people see how it's so easy for you to deceive yourself into thinking that, well, you know, uh, I've got this right attitude, I'm chosen by God, all these other things. For the last time today, amen, we did not choose him. He chose us, right? And there are many called. There are many who have the opportunity to be chosen, to be one of his chosen. I think it's... um, Kenneth Wiest, if I'm remembering correctly, but he basically says it this way, and it's probably my favorite way of describing this concept of, of, of heteros. And, and this is someone who desires a relationship with another person, but only on their terms. Only on their terms. And that, see, that was the workers, that first group of workers. They wanted to be employee, but on their terms. 
And then this guy who comes to the wedding feast but refuses the garment. He wants to be there, but only on his terms, not on the king's terms, not on the vineyard owner's terms. So do you notice how their attitude is, I chose to be here. You didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. But obviously their attitude is wrong. Amen. All right, stand with me tonight. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these eternal teachings that Jesus delivered so, so many years ago that have been recorded and preserved and now, Father, made available to us, Lord, for our understanding, Lord, for, for our growth in, in, in knowledge and, and truth and wisdom. And, Father, I thank you tonight, Lord, for, for true friends of God, Lord, in this room, men and women who, who love you and, um, Lord, are not interested in, in, in what's in it for, for them. Uh, Lord, they're not here tonight for what they can get out of it, Lord, but for what they can offer you and, and what they can bring to you. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing among us here at Heritage, Father. I thank you for what you're doing in our family of faith. And Lord, the way you're stirring our hearts and the way, Lord, you are building uh, stronger and stronger truth into our lives. Father, I thank you tonight that we're chosen. And Father, I also thank you that we understand in a greater way what it means when Jesus said, we didn't choose him, but he chose us. Lord, help us to respond as those who did not choose Jesus, but as those whom Jesus chose. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you for being here this evening.